Hey there, beautiful souls. Welcome to Beyond the Surface, where the saying to be seen is to be understood comes to life. I want to begin by first honoring the traditional custodians of the land we live and work on. I live and work on Gundungurra land and acknowledge the traditional landowners of my guests near and far. I pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging, for they hold the memories, the traditions and cultures of our First Nations people. The land below my feet is, was and always will be Aboriginal land. Beyond the surface, we'll have periodic bonus episodes, which will serve as foundational information on some of the topics people share in their stories. They will be interesting, informative and insightful. My hope is that they will not only educate, but also validate the experiences of you, the listener. Having language to describe our experiences is vital for our healing and growth. So kick back, relax, and let's embark on a journey where your story is not just heard, but believed and embraced. This is Beyond the Surface. Welcome, Phil. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Sam. Thanks for having me. I uh, am excited about this episode because uh, these you're my first person that I'm recording with in terms of bonus episodes um, mm-hmm. and foundational episodes uh, around, I guess, some of the content that people are talking about in their stories. Um, and today's episode is going to be around deconstruction and what that is, what that looks like, um, and I guess to give people a bit of an overview of of what that is. Um, So for people who are not familiar with the term deconstruction, what is that? Sure. So, I mean, deconstruction is a complex term and it's got a lot of ways it can be interpreted, right? You've probably heard a builder talk about deconstruction or something knocking down an apartment complex or something. And so um, it's got philosophical roots. You can talk about deconstruction from a philosophical postmodern perspective. The context we're using it in here is um, it's being kind of uh, co-opted by uh, a movement of people that are having a major shift in their faith, away from their faith tradition. And so We did a research project in 2020 where we looked at a very large sample of, I think, about one and a half thousand people that identify as deconstructing. We also looked at a big sample of people that identify as conventional content Christians. Um, And we kind of tried to figure out what's what is this person? Mm. How do they identify? And what we found is three kind of markers in which they identify. And so the first one is that they are questioning or have questions core values of their faith tradition. And so we're not talking about kind of adjacent, broad, big questions, you know, things that um, if you get a bunch of um, conventional, happy, content Christians in a room over dinner, they'll go, oh, have you ever wondered about this? Oh, I don't know about that. And I'm not so sure. If they're having that conversation and everyone's fairly comfortable and maybe someone's like, no, I definitely disagree. But like, we're all going to get together again for dinner and no one's going to lose their like family or like their their membership in the church or anything. These are not core values, you know, but the the core values, the way I I tell people to know is imagine walking into the pastor's office and saying, I don't know about this. I'm questioning if this is true. If that, if, if whatever you fill that blank in makes you start sweating, makes you a bit Mm -hmm. panicked, makes you go, Ooh, I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know if I'll be able to speak in church again. I don't know if I'll be able to be lead worship. I don't know 
those are core values, right? We're talking, not sure about deity of Christ. I'm not sure uh, if God is really good in the Bible. I'm not sure about the Bible. Is the Bible really the written of God? And it's going to be slightly different based on slightly different denominations of Christianity, right? So some people might deconstruct from a fairly progressive form of Christianity, and some of those questions might not be that important, but there will still be core values. Mm. Um, and so, and technically you can deconstruct from anything, right? Mm. I mean, in this context, it wouldn't have to be Christianity. That's just my area of expertise is helping people in that space. Mm. So the second marker, and this is important because we found a lot of people that are conventional uh, Christians did the first one a lot less, but many of them had questioned their core values, their, their core points of their of their faith the second one is the big important one is that the the faith tradition itself has failed to answer that mm. and so while many conventional christians go oh, i'm not sure if the bible is really the word of god generally speaking they accept that answer mm. um, and many people that are deconstructing have also questioned that before and just, and gone yeah that's fine i'm happy with that answer it's just that they now are questioning it again and going not happy with that answer anymore mm. i might have given that answer to someone last week but not happy with it anymore. And so what happens is they then need to go, where can I get this answer beyond this current space? And so it's not that they throw it out entirely, necessarily. It's not that they walk away. It's not whatever. It's just that they now have to seek an answer to their question beyond their faith traditions box bubble. Mm. And then the third point is really important as well. And this is not always fully evident initially, but what we find is the vast majority of people that deconstruct ultimately become a lot less fundamental a lot less rigid and black and white with whatever beliefs they then take on board and so it's quite funny because it's commonly thrown around as a trope that people that deconstruct don't believe in anything and they just throw away all their beliefs and they don't believe in anything and yeah. i don't i don't know how that i don't know who who that person is who is someone that doesn't believe mm. i mean if you just go i don't believe in god mm. that is a as a belief it's it's a, yeah. it's a they're believing right now i don't believe in god as a belief as much as i believe in god or so even if it goes as extreme as extreme as i totally don't believe anything from my faith tradition that's still a set of new beliefs that are founded in different things and that are becoming founded and are growing and evolving and so deconstruction is not about just losing ideas of what we believe it's about changing and, and evolving and growing and, and, and transforming but what we hold on to is our new beliefs tends to not always initially but long-term becomes a lot less fundamental. Mm. Um, and we'll see this in lots of different models. You see this in different developmental models. I know you're a therapist. You'll see this in like um, Rogerian stages of process. Yeah. You'll see it in all sorts of different things. Uh, Kurt Greuter's ego development theory, how the ego, the, the way that we perceive ourselves and make meaning of ourselves, how that develops and grows. We see ourselves becoming less fundamental, less rigid, open to questioning, open to being wrong in a way that we just weren't before yeah um, and so that's really broad strokes what deconstructing is it's be, it's it's questioning what we believe where we've come from realizing that the place that we found those answers for before and trusted for those answers isn't able to provide them anymore that could be a pastor a whole religion a pope a god a book like the bible whatever it is that we put our trust in to answer that is not able to anymore and so we've sought new answers and we might not have them yet we might have them but mm -hmm. whatever it is as we're going we're holding them a little less firmly 
Yeah. And I think it's important, I guess, here to sort of note that there is this misconception that deconstruction equals deconversion, and that's not always the case, right? And there are other words, I guess, like reconstruction and de-churched and, you know, all of that sort of thing that are also thrown around. Um, But I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that deconstruction is equals deconversion and that we are just these really angry, bitter people who just hate God and hate the church and, um, and just, you know, want to get as far away from it as possible. And that's not the case, right. For, for some people. Our, our, our research, again, I've not got the numbers on hand, but Mm -hmm. generally speaking, people that identify as having deconstructed about 20 to 30% of them, it's varies based on geography and age Mm -hmm. and sex and all sorts of different stuff, but between 20 to 30% of people that identify as having deconstructed, um, even 10 years out, these numbers tend to hold pretty solidly. Like this is, this is a really mm-hmm. robust amount of uh, uh, people that are deconstructing between 20 and 30% still identify as Christian. That's mm-hmm. not even saying I still follow the way of Jesus or loose or, you know, like, well, yeah, I don't like Christian. I just kind of, these people literally said, no, I identify as a Christian still. That's yeah. a big percentage. It's, it's the biggest percentage of any group of faith of people that are deconstructed from Christianity. It's not that kind of percentage for Judaism or Hinduism, but they could equally, some people do go into Buddhism and Taoism or pagan religions or different things like that. And many go into atheism, but actually quite a small amount. And so that's the thing. People assume this is a fast track to something like that. Mm. Most people tend not to identify with atheism. I think a lot of it comes because there's a bit of a stigma behind that. Yeah. That is interesting. The, the identification with atheism does grow over time. So early on, people that deconstruct don't but as time goes on that starts to grow and so again we see atheism between sort of 10 to 20 percent of people but still only about 20 percent of people that identify as having deconstructed um see that now it might be that more people that go into atheism identify as deconverted and they don't really find space in the deconstruction space or Mm -hmm. or or grab onto that term and, and you know find it helpful or whatever lots of variables but what we do know is that it is not about where people end up and Mm -hmm. that's the misconception i think when you are a fundamental what matters is what do you believe yeah and what's interesting is in deconstruction it's much less about um what do i presently believe and it's actually as far as identifying with the words it's actually about what did i believe and what am i moving away from Mm -hmm. and so um it's a totally different dynamic and it creates a lot of different problems you know trying to have community in that having connection things like that finding people like me what does that mean when it's not about what i believe now Mm. um it's more about having shifted away from something that's a very different thing to kind of yeah and i guess about not just where you land in terms of what you believe but how you got to that point of you know, it's mm-hmm. like the you know the cliche um it's about the journey not the destination it's it's kind yeah. of like that it's you know it's um it's not where you land it's how you sort of shift out of it's where you left as well as the journey as to where you where you land next yeah. um and that's the important part that's that's yeah. the big change undergoing really uh, to be honest mm-hmm. with you the change that's happening to the person the change in um their beliefs about gods uh about their religion is really only um a byproduct of the the real change that's occurring to the mm-hmm. human yeah the individual is undergoing a massive shift in their psychology which mm-hmm. causes them to question the new way and we know this because 
you go back six months, you go back 10 years, they would ask the same question and they give the answer they used to give and they'd be very happy. And you come to them and go, I'm deconstructing them. They would give you this answer that mm-hmm. today they don't find at all satisfying and go, that just is not scratching yeah. the edge. It doesn't, it doesn't make me feel content. It doesn't, doesn't answer it. I need, I need more. I need a better answer. Yeah. Um, that answer was fine for them not long ago. Mm-hmm. And so something internally has changed. It's not about just the answer itself is wrong mm-hmm. because it's fine. It was fine for me not so long ago. Um, it's just not fine for me now because I've changed. And so I think that's a big thing that a lot of people kind of miss is actually it's about the internal process and that is constantly changing. And it's why you see a lot of change in that time. You don't just change often what you believe about God. It also then you see these people become much more self-aware. They often suddenly discover, oh my gosh, I'm queer. Oh, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I don't love this person I'm married to actually. And I yeah. just rope pattern or oh my gosh like I don't actually ever really think for myself and stand mm-hmm. up and set boundaries oh I'm gonna start setting boundaries my parents well they're really invasive and that's not healthy the way that they brought me up and oh I've got all these kind of conditions of worth I want to look at and explore how have I never thought about the fact that I get to determine who I am and what's important to me not just a god in the sky or well, Jesus mm-hmm. in my heart or a pastor you know giving approval or disapproval from afar um these things are all major shifts maybe it includes how they vote politically and how they see the world politically and the impact they want to have in the world and suddenly it's going oh actually that's much more important to me because I feel like I'm more responsible I actually feel there's a responsibility here as I become more autonomous that means I'm responsible for how I affect the world around me whereas when I didn't have any choice well Mm -hmm. that's just the way it is God's dictated it how am I supposed to dictate anything in that sense this is lots of things undergoing um, change and often it's very difficult for people to see a lot of that and it's very Mm -hmm. difficult for people to engage with that when the religion is the important part and of course yeah having lived in those spaces and been fundamental for many decades religion is all that matters what we believe and what where we're going when we die and do we have a relationship with jesus or whatever it might be that's the important part and so we we struggle to see a lot of the other underlying change that's going on yeah i think uh i think people do tend to forget that it it seeps out it's like it just it can s- slowly it just seeps slowly into all mm-hmm. of the other different areas of your life socially relationally work like you said politics um if we if we talk about that internal what happens internally are there things that are happening uh regularly for people are there things that are common what sort of things do we see popping up quite um quite regularly for people who are deconstructing yeah uh gosh a lot of things and so everyone's journey is going to be unique to some degree right there every person has this very unique phenomenology of the way they explore and engage with the world and their perspective Mm -hmm. is their perspective and that is something that probably they're starting to discover in a way that probably they didn't have a a perspective of that before. Um, But what it does mean is that people have very unique uh, journeys and very unique uh, things to work through. And yet that unique construct is built of a big smorgasbord buffet table of things that most people probably recognize a lot on the table and go, Oh yeah, I've got a bunch of that. And I've got a bunch of that and a bunch. I didn't have that actually, but no, I've got that, that, and that. So we're very similar here. Um, So there's going to be a lot of these common things going on. Um, And so all that to say, if you don't feel like you go, Oh, that doesn't make sense to me, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But 
you're probably going to recognize a few things that I mentioned as, as I kind of explore. Um, yeah. So one of the big things that um, that changes is really, um, it is a big part of that autonomy. It's a shift. So when people are happy in conventional religion, generally it's because they're at a bit of a psychological stage. It's often known as conventional and conventional it really finds its safety in security and certainty. Mm. And it gets that, it, it, it feels safe because it knows it's right. Mm-hmm. And it's very black and white. It sees the world as right or wrong. You are right or wrong. This mm. belief is right or wrong. I am right or wrong. And it's really important that I'm right. Really important because if I'm wrong, well, I'm not safe anymore. Yeah. Um, and maybe a lot of that is because there's bigger concepts, right? So if I'm wrong, I go to hell. If I'm wrong, I'm in the wrong religion or I, you know, whatever it might be, or I'm wrong. I'm in the wrong relationship. There's a right relationship for me and everything else would be wrong. Or mm. it's very black and white in the way it approaches things, but it makes you feel very safe if you are right. Um, yeah. And often people tend to outsource that decision of what right and wrong is. And so the morality, the structure of morality is outsourced to generally a divine figure, a God or something could be if you're a bit more secular, it could be like, you know, you just outsource what morality is to what society says. There's the laws of the land. Whereas maybe some people that have developed and grown a little bit beyond that would go, yeah, I, I agree with the laws of the land, but you know what? I can see the the ethos behind that rule and I'm happy to bend it a little bit or break that. Yeah. Or actually, I think that's a rule that's actually very unethical and is there to uphold power for one person and actually put down other people. So there's nuance uh, developing yeah. in a lot of people that come out of that. But the, the the safety and the need for certainty and security is really important at that stage. Um, and it's often very rooted in authority figures. And so there's a lot of giving up autonomy so that we can feel safe. I give up my freedom, my choice, my ability to make decisions, my ability to reason whether it's right or wrong so that I can be right. So I know I'm safe. Now, what happens is because we're doing that internal shift, what's happening is that we suddenly start to go, it's nice feeling safe. It really is. But actually, I'm starting to undergo a change that makes me look at this and go, but what? I don't know if I am right. Mm. And actually, truth becomes more important than being right. Yeah. And so actually we're starting to shift in a way that goes, no, I really need to know the actual truth. And so it's still quite driven by being right to some degree initially. And Mm -hmm. actually it's because we're getting to the most extreme position of seeking being right for our safety. Maybe we started asking a few questions and then going, oh shoot, I actually don't know if I'm right here. So we really need to figure it out. And then the more we study, the more we read, the more we explore, the more we pray, the more we dive into church and get involved, the more some of the problems start to come about. And yeah. so now I've got to figure out what's right. Um, and in doing that, we actually have to start taking a bit more autonomy. We have to start questioning some authority. Mm. We have to start wrestling with uncertainty and insecurity and going, how do I feel about this place that I'm in? Because I'm in the process of trying to figure that out. Maybe you go from being right to right to right to right as yeah. you change your views. And a lot of people do that as they're deconstructing. They go from one idea to the next idea to the next. And they, but they're at least now I know what the truth is what the right belief about hell is and what the right belief about the Bible is and what the right belief about healing is or whatever it might be that, but it's, it's an evolving, it's a changing, it's a growth, but it's still very black and white and rigid. Mm. But as time goes on, you wrestle more and more with that constant being in a space of uncertainty and insecurity. And it forces you to become a more autonomous. It forces you to separate a little bit more from that, those authority structures, from your family imposition over you, from church leadership, these kind of things. And what happens is you start to maybe look a little bit more 
skeptically at maybe some of their other components, like their conditioning of worth and their conditioning of control over you. Um, as you start to separate there, you're starting to go, wait, but maybe I can take up more space and make some decisions for myself. Maybe mm-hmm. actually that feels quite controlling. And actually, I don't like that. Yeah. Or maybe you start to go, I don't like how that plays out in my life, that you've created this idea of I'm valuable because I go to church. Ooh, mm-hmm. I don't like that. So what you're saying is I don't go to church enough. I'm not valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I don't like that. That's not healthy. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of stuff going on here. In fact, going to therapy often does this to people. Yeah. That's why often very fundamental Christians don't like therapy because mm. it teaches people about their conditions of worth and, and are they doing it externally or internally it teaches mm. them about getting an internal con- locus of control, having your the control of your life and taking responsibility for your life and, and figuring out how I can get to control that rather than having people in circumstances yeah. around me. So there's all these kind of shifts going on that, that cause a lot of these stuff things to go on. And then we see common things like questions we're having and going, well, is hell really moral? like is it good for god to make people in a, and so we start to see even our morality starts to grow and then we start going i'm more moral than god maybe oh that's not right so we have to either adapt god and like i said many people manage to adapt their way of seeing god and, and go yeah okay that makes more sense to me and it's a moral uh ethical framework that makes sense to me but they can't live with a god that is a monster right they can't live with a god that hates gay people for example yeah. that just doesn't work for them um and so they can either evolve and grow within the faith and figure out a way to be inclusive or they have to turn their back on that and find an expression and a way of being that allows for that Mm -hmm. Um, but these shifts allow them to make these decisions on their own and it's not that they don't look to authority figures an example i often give is a fundamental someone in that conventional space will hit the covid uh, pandemic and it will come out you've got an option to get a covid vaccine do you want to take it or not the fundamental will ask their pastor or maybe yeah. not ask, but they'll listen to a pastor's sermon on whether they should or not. The person that's deconstructed and is, is starting to shift and take a bit more responsibility, it, unless they actually know much about medicine, they're still going to look to an authority figure, but they're yeah. going to apply this nuance. They're going to go, okay, well, a pastor's not going to know shit about like COVID vaccines. Maybe mm-hmm. I should look at what immunologists are saying. Maybe I should make an appointment with my general practitioner and, and ask my GP, hey, should I get this or not? What are the pros? What are the cons? And so there's a there's a still authority in their life where they look to people that are authority figures they know what they're talking about but they recognize my pastor probably does know a little bit about the bible maybe Mm. Um, but we would hope one was hope one was hope (laughs) Uh, i have become skeptical of that yeah um so yeah but there's also things like that causes loneliness it causes Mm. isolation autonomous you gave up your autonomy to be part of this community to be part of this thing that made you safe and secure and you're like everyone so you get to belong and that's another part of safety right and so now you feel less secure and you have to start figuring out how do i feel safe with uncertainty and security how do i feel safe with not knowing how do i feel safe with not having a strong tight community if i become homeless i won't have 10 people in my church go oh you can crash on my couch anymore yeah you would if, if you manage to deconstruct and stay in this space but many people don't and then they go actually i don't have many people that are beside me anymore a lot of people fundamental um mm. friends and family literally will cut them off yeah. other people will choose to cut off their fundamental friends and family but for all sorts of different reasons so there's lots of little shifts that are going on here that actually add up to some substantial change yeah um 
And again, like, what can that look like? It can look like you change politically. It might change um, in your outlook and how you interact with the world. It might change how you see animals. You might start to go, oh, gosh, actually, I see animals in a way that when I was fundamental, I just saw them as there for our consumption, there for our use. Now I'm like, oh, gosh, maybe I'm basically an evolved animal. Gosh, like, I don't know. I wouldn't eat my dog. Why would? Why do I eat cow? So there's yeah. all sorts of changes that can occur. And again, I don't know what percentages of deconstruction people become vegan. Probably yeah. not, but more so than in a fundamental space, I imagine. Yeah. Um, and so all kinds of little changes that can occur, and all of this starts to tally up and add up. But it's all that underlying stuff of changing our psychological makeup of the way we see the world, and it's it's often driven by this desire to be more powerful, take up more space. It's it's realizing I've given up, this is good, but I've given up too much to be part of this community, to have that certainty. Mm. I'm actually giving up knowing for sure that I, I have the truth. I'd rather be wrong and discover the truth. And I'd rather the truth was something I didn't like and was uncomfortable and made me feel uncertain. You know, if they believe the truth is there is no God or there is no afterlife, for example, that's not a comfortable feeling to wrestle with oh i don't think there's an afterlife anymore whoa so wait so if i get hit by a bus that's it we're done and even if i don't and i live a nice long life and i've got another 40 50 years that's uncomfortable too i don't like that i i had eternity down to 50 years is a big drop (laughs) absolutely (laughs) yeah it's a huge drop and i mean i think when i talk about deconstruction i talk about it in the sense that you know it allows for critical thinking which is i guess that part where you sort of said, you know, even with something like vaccines, there will still be a part of us that looks at an authority figure for that information, but we approach it with nuance and critical thought and, you know, all of those different things, um, which when we talk about critical thinking, it's in itself is a good thing. Um, But deconstruction is it can feel incredibly destabilizing also, you know, like you said, that safety is gone, that sense of belonging can be gone. Sometimes, you know, when you deconstruct, deconstruct, you lose your family, you might lose loved ones, you might, you know, you might lose your community. And so uh, I find that for people who do choose to deconstruct, sometimes that isn't a conscious choice. It's like people feel like they don't, they almost have no choice but to do this. Uh, but it comes at a risk, right? Yeah. 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 Um, do you want to know a funny fact? It's really yeah. surprising related. Don't worry. I have worked in the space for 15 years now and mm. helped, I don't even know how many people in the thousands upon thousands. And so, anecdotally, in the back of my head, I have a lot of stuff before I started working in research in this space for about five years ago, I started doing research. And I would have said exactly what you just said there, where deconstruction is not a choice. And yeah. people talk like it's a choice in conventional spaces, in fundamental spaces. They go, oh, they just chose sin. They just wanted to sin. They just, they were lukewarm and they just didn't care. And they just wanted mm. an easier life. So they chose to deconstruct. Like common, tropey kind of like myth. Um, but I'm like, I talk to people every day. That does not happen. No. About 32% of people, and I've done this study like three times officially with large samples um, completely randomly selected. I mean, really, really 
robust we work with a research company to put together our studies i've also done about eight polls on instagram using my account and other people in the spaces account going can you ask people just a yes no was your deconstruction a choice the number always comes out between 30 and 34 percent people say yeah i chose this mm. and i am blown by that data so yeah you want or whatever you think i don't know and again how we internalize how we take control of something that feels out of control i guess it's maybe all kinds of different things behind that that we could look at mm -hmm. but what it does say is the vast majority right two-thirds of people at least certainly do not feel they had control over this process mm -hmm. it, it it happened right and so the thing is what you find is while those changes are happening where you're starting to want to take up a bit more space have a bit more autonomy um maybe start to do some work on yourself and deal with some of the stuff that you don't like maybe you're maybe you went to therapy because you're getting angry with your partner um mm. or you are struggling at home because your kids are overwhelming or the work is uh, uh, your work is too much or something and so you won't go to therapy and you, you start looking at it, you start thinking about oh gosh it's because my parents talk to me like that and gosh oh that's interesting oh i need to work through that and you start doing that these are just small changes that you don't think i want to be less angry as a, a husband or a wife does not usually mean i'm going to not believe in god in 18 months right i mean because yeah. like, if you said oh if you go to therapy you're going to stop believing in god nobody <laughs> nobody in the right mind safe certain content has yeah. a relationship with god it's really happy and and we know so that one other thing we know from data is that people that deconstruct are across the board categorically more quote-unquote christian than those that don't and um, by markers given by Christians. And so um, there's been quite a bit of studies as far as what makes a Christian a Christian um, mm. and asking different groups of Christians what that is. And above and beyond everything, people say, you know, accepting Jesus into your heart, you know, the kind of core kind of like, it's not by your works, it's by your faith. But everyone that deconstructed would tick that box. So that's not in question. So then you keep asking, go, okay, what what makes a good Christian? And what, what what's the best Christian? Like what, what what's the difference between a, an okay Christian and a really good one? And people start to say, well, how often do you attend church? Well, on average, people that deconstruct and people that remain in church, the people that deconstruct attend church more often before mm. they deconstruct it. That can change, obviously. Yeah. Um, so again, if you just grabbed a hundred people, random sample of people that identify as deconstruction, a random sample, hundred people that are happy and content in their churches these things would be true for the deconstructing group over the people at church. They yeah. attended church more. They read their Bible more. They prayed more. Mm -hmm. They were more likely to be on leadership. They were more likely to have attended Bible college or um, Bible school, theological seminary, that sort of stuff, much more likely. Um, double digits, by the way, is, is the kind of percentage. We're, yeah. we're, we're, it's a lot of people. Um, these people were really passionate about their faith. And in fact, even 10 years on after they've deconstructed, they still beat evangelical Christians which is the highest type of Christians in a Bible yeah. quiz 10 yeah. years on. Some yeah. of them haven't looked at their Bible for eight years or something. Some, um, uh, so these people I, and, and that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. yeah. That doesn't surprise me. So it's not me. about lukewarmness or something yeah. like that. It's about people really cared. And so if you said to them, would you like to lose your faith? No, no, so of course really not. This choice was not, I'm going to yeah. go choose to live my, or I want to sin. It mm. was internal changes were happening. Maybe I, maybe it was that you are queer and you, you realize, oh, like I don't have space here. My, this yeah. God doesn't love me and doesn't accept me. He loves me, but he doesn't really because there's this big condition and there's all sorts of stuff. So I need to explore that and think about that. But you're not going, I'm going to throw away God. You're 
God, most people throw away their queerness, right? They repress and they beat it up. And so there's a lot of complexity there. Yeah. Um, and uh, another factor that's something we don't talk about very often uh, in how does this affect people? And one of the things at the buffet table is shame and regret and guilt, right? Because how much do you regret if you are gay, but by the age of 19, you were married. And then by the age of 22, you had three kids. And by the time you actually started to really process this and and, and become more accepting of yourself, you're 28 and you've got I don't know, a, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old, and you're married to a person of the opposite sex, and you're going, what is happening here? Yeah. There's regret there. And it might be that you absolutely love your partner and you love your kids, and that's not in question. Mm. That just makes it even more complex. Um, mm. But also maybe there's shame there of how could I have been like that? Or um, does this make me a bad parent, a bad partner? Does this make me a bad person? Um, and there might even be guilt. I, I've push people into this as well. In fact, I told people that came to me saying, I think I'm gay. And I said, no, look, work for me. I pushed through and I found love and I'm married and I'm kids. And so there's like, and it's just one example of gosh, a million, right? You could feel all of those things about being a youth group leader and telling people, young kids, they're going to go to hell if they don't accept God or whatever it might be. Mm. There's a million examples, but these are powerful emotions to be having bouncing around while all of this stuff is happening your family aren't talking to you you're worried about you know your relationship you're feeling a lot of guilt like these are powerful things that are in the mix here sorry i'm bouncing all over but no no no, that's okay i think um you know there are a lot of challenges that come with with deconstructing and i will often say you know, in my personal experience that one of the hardest things about deconstructing was, um, uh, I guess, the realisation of the system of harm that I had helped (laughs) uphold, essentially. Um, And, you know, it's funny that you use that example because, you know, as a queer woman married to a woman who had suppressed my sexuality for a very long time, um, but um, had helped other people try to, in quotations, pray the gay away because that was what I was doing to myself. It was what I helped other people do and that causes immense guilt and immense regret. And so, uh, you know, there are a lot of challenges that can come from uh, from deconstructing um, and and a lot of, like you said, those really deep-rooted emotions like regret and shame and guilt and resentment and, you know, all of those things. Um, what is it like for people to try and navigate those challenges? What helps people navigate them? Yeah. Uh, what's it like? Difficult, hard, mm. painful, um, yeah. exciting, fun maybe as well? It's yeah. black and white always hard it can be really liberating and, and exhilarating yeah. to feel like I'm on a whole new exciting path where I'm learning lots of things about myself and about the world and I get to explore and so that there's a lot of positive in the mix um and we wouldn't seek it if it was only bad like it only yeah. did it never served us in any way we probably wouldn't go down that path but it's hard it's really yeah. difficult and I think there's a real conversation to be had that one of the main things that helps people is to be able to work through that in therapy or something like that. And yet that is an extremely privileged space. Um, Most of the people I work with are in the States and therapy is very 
inaccessible in mm. the states even more so than it is in the uk i don't know what it's like over in australia but um and it's still not very accessible here yeah. um but there's some components where we can get that on national health care and different things but it's a privilege to be able to access that stuff and so you're left reading fantastic books there's amazing books out there um about working through trauma about working through um some of these really big ways that we've been shaped as a human and unraveling and unpicking that and this guy trying to figure out who am i yeah. in a person that is largely constructed by quote unquote god by religion by our parents by our pastors that's a really hard process in the mix of what will be very physical hard situations some people lose their jobs over this some people have family strife over this like most people know what it's like to have something go wrong in your life and and then to try and juggle anything else. It's just like, yeah. you're like, can I do one thing at once? Right? I mean, I like zero things, but if I'm yeah. going to do it, um, it's really difficult to suddenly start juggling all this stuff. Most people go to therapy mm. going, I've got this one thing going on. Now, most people don't have the one thing and often it's not even the thing that they need to be in therapy for, but yeah. most people kind of go, I've got this thing and it's causing me anguish and I want to deal with it. Mm. And the scale of some sort of change like this, it, you rarely sit down in therapy and go, I've got one issue, actually. You go, oh, I've got this going on and this going on and it's making me worried about this and it's affecting this and it's affecting that person. And it's a very big um, thing. And so a lot of it is being kind to ourselves, mm. being compassionate, which again, we're not being taught to do. We've yes. been taught to seek where the sin is, beat ourselves up, mm. repent fix ourselves you know that kind of process it's a very shameful non-compassionate approach to ourselves um but that's a big part of it giving ourselves space looking at ourselves and going you know what i would not mock and um tell a four-year-old they're a bad person for mm. telling another four-year-old that santa doesn't exist because they found out that santa doesn't exist yeah. right because of course that four-year-old thinks santa exists now i'm not I'm not drawing the direct correlation. There's a bit of a meme of like, oh, your God is just like Santa, you just made up. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying there's certain components of like, how would I have ever been different than I was? Mm -hmm. I was who I was because yeah. I was. That's who you were. If you could have been different, you would have been. And mm -hmm. so, of course, as a 19-year-old who had an opportunity to be a part of a youth group and was really excited and 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 be able to do something for God and you've been taught your whole life that that's the most important thing and I got to share the gospel and help save kids and rescue them from hell and put them in heaven like who could ever tell that kid that they're doing immense harm yeah when that's all they've ever really been shaped to do and know um of course they did yeah. and so starting to do that a bit more close to home and looking at ourselves and going, of course, I was a fundamental Christian. I yeah. was a fundamental Christian. Of course, I was homophobic. Mm. I was homophobic. That that uh, What else could I have been at that time? I was taught to be homophobic. Everyone I knew was homophobic. My parents were homophobic. Every mm. model I had around me was homophobic. Of course, I was homophobic. What's amazing is I changed. Do you know how yeah. rare that is? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, it's thankfully less rare and the world is changing and, and, and things are getting better in a lot of those regards most places mm. but that's rare the the miracle if there is a miracle here is that you aren't those mm. things you're taking responsibility you're changing mm. um 
giving yourself space, you're probably going to take responsibility for a lot of things, right? You're going to start to go, oh yeah. And I'm also, oh my gosh, I had a uh, a racist kind of decolon. I need to decolonize. I need to, uh, you know, look at this. I need to do that. I need to do that. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, I was, I was so misogynistic. I was this. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the biggest things is giving ourselves a break, giving ourselves space, especially if we're doing this work on our own, mm-hmm. especially because if yeah. you're doing this work on your own, most people are going to end up having to do it. It, it requires giving yourself a bit of a break, talk to yourself like your best friend, you know, mm. what would your yeah. best friend say with, oh yeah, you're, well, oh, you're an awful person. They wouldn't, they'd be like, oh, of course you did that, pal. Like that's the way it is. Right. But mm. look, you change. You don't want to do that anymore. That's amazing. Look at Steve who was standing next to you doing it. He's still doing it. Right. Yeah. Like, so yeah. Hey, we're not. Um, Absolutely. That's a big, big, big factor. And there are things that help in between, right? So you've got great resources like books, podcasts. I mean, this podcast is amazing. The amount of resources where therapists and people that are um, educated in a way that they can help are making their expertise more accessible and, and having conversation and doing things like open spaces, like support groups and things like that are, is, is amazing where it's a lot more accessible, a lot more affordable. Um, there's online communities, wonderful online communities and discord and on Instagram and things like that where people can talk and, and, and explore together and, uh, and connect with one another and give, and give each other compassion. Cause it's easy to see someone else beating themselves up and going, dude come on man that's that's not fair you're you're doing great um and i think Mm -hmm. having people around us to do that is so important and community is hard it's really hard to find yeah i think that deconstruction helps give us at least something to 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 gravitate towards and go oh these are my people Mm. um so whatever it might be maybe you identify more as de-churched or deconverted or whatever or maybe you have a new system of beliefs maybe you're pagan maybe you're atheist maybe you're agnostic there's a lot of things that you can gravitate to around what you believe as well which is which is helpful for a lot yeah. of people but yeah, yeah i think having people yeah let's talk about community for a sec because i think um i find that those who do deconstruct in a, for a lot of people there is a sense of loss of community on some scale whether that is their whole community and family and friends or whether it might be just feeling lost within the community and not feeling like they fit the mold or belong as they did before um just you know let's talk about just how important community is for the deconstruction um those who are deconstructing because it is incredibly important right yeah yeah i mean i, I think it's a core component of being human yeah. right i mean i'm authentic okay so i like being on my own i like yeah. it a lot i just had a kid a year ago so i like it even more than i used to yeah like, i bet <laughs> to having something gravitating to me and holding me at all times i'm like great <sighs> room and I'm happy yeah. and yet I still know very quickly I'm like I need to be around human beings and have interaction mm-hmm. and be seen and, and just and I think that's a big part now we are shifting into a value for truth it's all the more important that people see who we are mm. and I think that's so much more important than actually when we were in community before where actually we didn't have as much of a need because we we it was much less focused on ourselves and much more on the space on the community on on the on the purpose on the goal on the on the being right and helping other people get right so that they're not wrong anymore now it's about being in truth and and being authentic and Mm. and taking up some space i really want people to see who i am which makes those two groups people in those two spaces it is hard for you to go back into that space and be yourself it's not safe 
Um, And so you can't be, or if you are, they can't be around you because it makes them uncomfortable to be around someone that's wrong and we're right. And we don't want to be around people that are wrong unless we can change them. And you're you're not changing them back generally. Um, And so that's a really complex thing. But there's a complexity as well where, so I started a um, a resource. So there's a a website called the Deconstruction Network and we do our research through that. But it's also just a website where you can put in your name, put in a pseudonym or something, obviously, if you want, and just your city anywhere in the world. You put Sydney, Austin, Mm -hmm. London, whatever it is. Um, And it just puts a dot on the city, randomized. You know, it's not on your house or whatever. Unless you put in your house address and you're a psychopath. Um, but yeah, um, it just puts a dot on the map and it, there you go. Los Angeles, Phil. Um, and then you search who's 20 miles from me, this this yeah. city. Who's in a 50 mile radius, you know, 50 kilometer radius of this, this city. And you see, oh my gosh, there's a hundred people in the city. Wow. Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing. If you are a Pentecostal Christian, and you start to go, eh, I'm not sure about Pentecostalism. It seems wrong and I don't like it. And I don't like the hands in the air and people falling apart. You know what? I'm going to be a Baptist. You know what you do? You open up Google and you type in Baptist church and it shows you on a map all the Baptist churches and you just start going to them until you find one you like. Done. Yeah. Problem solved. If you go, I have no idea what the fuck I believe. I just <laughs> yeah. know I'm not that. What do I type into Google Maps and where's yeah. the dots, right? They just aren't there. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, when I first started doing this, I, I was talking to people every day, hundreds of people I talk to every day. It's, it's amazing and fun and it's overwhelming at times as well. But I constantly talk to people, you've no idea what it's like for me. I'm in the American South. No one out here is deconstructing. I am on my own, which is funny because actually the American South has the highest concentration yeah. of people deconstructing. The more religious the place is, the more there's going to be people deconstructing. But yeah. anyway, it feels like that. feels like that. And so what do I type in? How do I, where's the dots on the map if I'm in um, Georgia, Atlanta? I don't know. So I thought, great, I'll make a website because people say that to me. I go, I'm in this city and I've there's no one here. You've no idea how alone I am. And I'm like, I've talked to five people in the last two months from that city, yeah. but I don't know who they are. They're like 3,000 messages ago or something. Yeah. I don't know. So I was like, great, I'll make a website, do this process. And it was great. And then an interesting phenomenon occurred in there as well where someone messaged me a few months after and was like, I'm in LA and I can't find anyone to have a relationship with. And I'm like, have you tried this resource? And they're like, oh yeah, I messaged everyone there. And I'm like, wait, I looked it up and it's like 50 people there. Cause it was quite new still, 50 people. He messaged all of them. And I was like, oh, well, like what's going on? Like what, what, tell me about what did you message him? And he's like, well, I messaged him saying like, would you be up for getting together every Sunday night for a worship night? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm like, yeah, I can see some people would still want that. Like I said, a certain percentage are still Christian. Mm. Of that percent, people want to do a worship night. Again, it's probably a smaller percentage, but there will be some people, this person in case in point. But I can imagine a lot of those people are atheist or agnostic, or even maybe they still are Christian, but they're very triggered by anything that's yeah. too close to home. And they're not going to reply, or they're going to go, no, no, thank you. Or they're going to be like, oh, this feels like a trap. I'm being invited to church mm-hmm. or something. Um, and it highlighted an interesting component as well. We have to start learning how to gather and connect, not around what do I presently believe? And mm. are we both right? Yeah. Because if we can't learn to connect with people that are different and are quote unquote wrong, mm. or maybe even just let go of the idea of right and wrong, which is quite a complex process for our, our fundamental upbringing to kind of yeah. get to. Um, but if we can't do that, it's going to be very hard for us because what we're doing is we're limiting this pool even more. 
Mm. But I, I say to people all the time, if you embody it, deconstructing and, and the process of shifting away from fundamental faith is the fastest moving spiritual movement in the West. Mm. There's no religion or spirituality that's growing faster than people who are letting go of fundamental faith. Mm. In America, it's between one to three million people a year that what? stop believing in what their faith of origin is. Mm. That's a staggering amount of people. That's oh, like 0.3 to 1% of the population of mm. America every yeah. year. It's a staggering amount. And that, and obviously only about, well, it depends when you start, but right now only about 50% of them even attend church or anything. So like how many of them started believing even, mm. so even bigger percentage. But the point being, if you got out your front door and you embodied your inner Jehovah Witness and you went to the next door and you knocked on the door and said, hi, I've lost my faith in what I used to believe and I'm figuring it out. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Maybe they go, no, no idea what you're talking about. You go to the next door. I guarantee you won't get more than 10 doors before you find someone that's in that space or knows yeah. what you're talking about. And yet, obviously we're not going to do that because it's terrifying. Um, but my point being, these people are there. They're there. They're yeah. all around us. And it's we have to learn how to figure out how do I start connecting with people that aren't exactly like me? Mm. And how do I engage with people in a way that my hand isn't held? Because church... It does it for you. It, it, in fact, it kind of infantilizes the process of making friends and doesn't allow you to learn how to make friends. Mm -hmm. And it keeps you kind of institutionalized is probably a better word, in fact, where you don't need to ever make friends. You could be the worst social person in the world and you're going to get together every night of the week if you want, because there's something, there's a prayer group, there's yeah. a home group, there's a youth group, there's a fill in the blank. And you are invited. Even if people don't like you, you're invited. It's because we're Christian. You've got to invite Greg. He's part of our church, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it is. But then Greg starts to lose his faith. No one's got to invite him to anything, mm. right? So how does he start to meet new people? He has to start going, oh, I need to go to the gym. I need to take up photography and go to some photography classes or go on meetup and see if there's a board game group that meets every month that plays games and connects with people. And, yeah. oh, in that space, maybe I meet some people that have similar beliefs about spirituality, but maybe that's not as important. Maybe it's just about being human in a room with another human and connecting. Mm -hmm. Those are big shifts from yeah. we agree and we have to get together and I and we will be put together almost mm. against our will. You will be attending this stuff at least three nights a week. Okay, done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have to do the work. That's a big change. It's a really hard change. And it comes with, I've also just been rejected by the people closest to me, the people I thought I trusted, I'm safe. Mm. So the thought of putting myself out there is hard. There's all these things going on. It's very complex. But the, yeah. I guess my overarching point is there are people everywhere mm. that have been through what you've been through. And on top of that, way more than that, there are people everywhere that, just want human connection they want to connect with people and love and be loved yeah and you know just as much as you need friendship so does your person next door so does your grandma so does your colleague at work they all want that and of course you're not going to get on with them all but you'd be surprised how many people are pretty great once you stop needing them to believe what you believe yeah yeah absolutely um, okay. So I usually finish all of my episodes, uh, with, um, what would you say to somebody who is deep in their deconstruction? What, what are you, what are your top tips for people who are deconstructing? I mean, what would I say to someone is just what's going on? Just let's process. Let's just chat. Like I, 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 I'm not a very directive person. I'm very 
let's just create the space because I want you to figure out you've, you've come to a space. So I think first thing I'll say is you're coming out of a space that is fundamental where you look to authority figure for what is right. Don't do it again. Yeah. Don't look into the space of deconstruction and go, who knows what, and I can follow them. Who's telling me how to deconstruct. Don't listen to that person. Big red flag. You mentioned reconstruction earlier on, as far as a label, I actually generally really don't like that term. I, I understand it's helpful for some people and that's fine. I'm not here to gatekeep terms, but yeah. I will say if you see the term, I help people reconstruct, be very cautious because mm-hmm. that is someone saying deconstruction is a thing and I can show you how to do the thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas deconstruction is not a thing. It goes in a million different directions and no one knows how to do that. Mm-hmm. People generally have only done what they've done. At best, they've witnessed a lot of things and they certainly couldn't tell you how to do it because they watched, they didn't do it. Yeah. So do not jump on a bandwagon where all you're going to do is you're going to replace one type of fundamental certainty and right and wrong for another. Now, if that's what you need, it's fine. Do it. I don't, I don't really care. Like whatever. Um, and some people that is what they do. They shift from one fundamental to another, maybe becoming Pentecostal and then moving into a Baptist church, one fundamental one to another. Like, and that's fine. If that's what you, the, the issue that you had was that question and now you've answered it. Great. Yeah. But be cautious of that. I think be kind to yourself is a huge one. Give yourself space, give yourself compassion. Just know that your body will tell you when to slow down yes. and your body's going to pick up stuff when you need to look at stuff. Mm. You're going to find yourself getting ill. You're going to find yourself having very physical reactions to certain people, to certain situations. Listen, 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 and go, okay, what are you telling me? Are you telling me that there's stuff going on here? Do I need to create some boundaries? Do I need to look at this? Do I need to think about this more? Do I need to go and sit and watch Netflix for four hours and binge some junk food? Yeah. What? But listen to that body expressing to you, especially because most people that have gone through this space of being fundamental are very, generally speaking, disassociative. They don't tend to listen to their feelings, their their body, their emotions at all well, because they've been told that that's not from God. That's not good. Um, and yeah. so practice that, tune that. Um, I don't know if that's three or two or, uh, yeah, be kind to yourself, be, give yeah. yourself space. Um, and yeah, and go find some people, whatever mm. it is. I don't care what it is. I don't really care. Just figure out what do I like to do? I mean, if you like doing jigsaw puzzles, that's fine. There's like games nights and things like that. There's, I don't know, whatever it might be, find people that are like you in some way where it just isn't important. That's mm. a helpful stepping stone. Oh, they're like me. They like photography. I can do a photography class where we go out in the city and we take photos together and it's quite informal, but I'll probably have some chats with a few people and figure out, oh, actually, I'm quite connected with that person. Oh, cool. Maybe like, you know, I'll see them again next week. And at some point I'll ask them if they want to go for coffee, you know, figure out how you can be around other people. And if you have some sort of idea, if you've become atheist, for example, go join a humanist church if you need something that's a bit more formal, something like that. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. There's, There's things like that. That, there is a club for everything, I say. There is a club for everything. Yeah. 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 Um, and whether that community is in person or online, we are hardwired for connection and socialization. Um, and there will be, you know, like you said, I like that. Find one thing even that you like and find somebody else who also likes it. And if that's all you ever do together and all you ever talk about, then it's still social connection. That is not about 
um, there needing to be some grand uh, or eternal purpose to to that connection. Um, I think that's really important. Um, yeah. Thanks, Phil. Very welcome. Thank I've you. Loved, I've loved it. I think um, I think deconstruction is um, I don't want to say controversial, but it you know it, there's a lot of misconceptions. I think, and oh. the term the term can be misused a lot of the time. And I, I think uh, you know, and we are sort of seeing it happen a little bit now. But the term can be weaponized, and so I think the more um conversation we can have around the reality of what it actually is um is really really important so thank you yeah. and thank you for all of the research that you are doing because it is needed greatly so yeah so yeah, thank of course you. thanks for listening to beyond the surface until next time take care Stay true to who you are and remember, your voice and your story matters always.